Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and I'm with Loretta. I'm really excited to be able to talk to Loretta. She has a unique, important story. And to start off with, I'd just like you to introduce yourself, talk about where you're from, and a little bit of your background. Um, I'm from Zimbabwe, originally, and I grew up in a small family. Um, was just myself and my older sister, raised by a single mother. Um, we were not entirely religious. Um, mm-hmm. The rest of the family was, but my mom just wanted us to learn whatever we can from wherever we didn't go to church. Um, but she always instilled the, like, the normal moral values, like be good to people, don't steal, don't do bad things, stuff like that. Um, so I just grew up with that. But when I would go to visit my grandmother and everybody else, then that's when I kind of got a little bit of religion in my life because they would always go to church on Sundays. So when I was with that side of the family, I would go to church. But in my home, we didn't have that. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of the upbringing. Yeah. So... How did you find the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Um, I was with my sister and her husband. They were living in South Africa then um, because he was called there for work. And we were just kind of going through the aftermath of my mom's passing away. And... I was struggling more than my sister was. Um, My sister was kind of already moving on with it, but I was still holding on. And so she suggested I stay with one of her in-laws who lived in South Africa, but just in a different town um, because she had kids that were my age. And so she wanted me to kind of have that because at her house, it was just her and her husband. So there wasn't much there. So I went to visit them. And while I was there, I kept because it was about a year or so after my mom's death, so I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't working. I wasn't in school. I was just kind of grieving. I didn't want to participate in anything. Um, So when I was there, I remember just getting a feeling that I should get a job. I should just get a job. Um, I wasn't even thinking of working. I did not have a resume anywhere. Um, But I woke up one morning and I thought, okay, I'll go look for a job. I have no idea where to look for one. So I just started walking down the street, um, which is not like me at all. Um, I was just wearing jeans and a T-shirt, and I was just walking around literally asking if they're hiring. Um, And because it was a coastal town, it was like so many tourist uh, places, restaurants and stuff like that. So I figured if anything, I should just look for like a job as a waitress because then it'll be easier um, and less busy, I guess. And so I remember passing through this place and they had a sign that they were hiring. And I walked in and I asked the manager if they could hire me. And they said, oh, we're sorry. We still have the sign, but we've kind of already recruited for for the season, so... Um, just leave your resume and then we'll get back to you. I didn't have a resume, nor even a handbag. So I just told them, no, it's fine. I'll just, I'll just apply when you guys are hiring again. And I remember leaving the place and I got that feeling again. You need to go back and beg for the job. Mm-hmm. It was very specific. 
And I didn't know what this was then. I just thought, that's a nagging feeling. Why do I have to go beg for something I don't want? Um, so I went back and I told the guy that I'm a really good worker and I don't have anything together. I don't have a resume for you, but if you hire me, I can prove myself. And then he was kind of put off by that because he was thinking you want a job, but you're not prepared. Like, yeah. who does that? And so he's like, okay, I'll hire you for the night shift, um, which is the busiest for that restaurant because it's a very popular one in South Africa. And if you do well, we'll keep you. If you don't, then you can't fault me for not trying. I was like, okay, that's fair enough. So I remember going home that day thinking, okay, I have to prepare for this. And usually if you're getting a waitress job, you get trained in the kitchen. Like you get trained everywhere else before you go on the floor. I didn't do that. He just told me to come in in the morning, learn the menu, and then that night I'm working. <laughs> and so I went there in the morning. I literally crammed the menu. And that night I was starting. It was a Thursday night. And Thursday nights for that restaurant, um, they have bottomless pizza. So from like 6 to 9, you just come in, you order a pizza, and you just keep getting more pizza until the night is over. And so everybody comes for that. Um, so it's the busiest night, and I was obviously nervous. But I remember standing with my colleagues at the door, uh, greeting people as they're coming in. I was thinking this was probably not a good idea because I don't know anything. I don't know the menu. What if they don't want the pizza? It has to be something else, etc. So going through that, I remember seeing eight people getting out of their cars, uh, white shirts, um, black trousers. And I thought that was very unusual that they're all kind of matching. And they had black tags. Um, and I said to my coworker, that's a big table because they all dress the same, so they must be from some company. Right. Um, and then she looked at me and she said, no, you don't want to help them. And then everybody kind of, she told everybody that the Mormons are coming. And then they kind of all ran away. And then so I was the only one standing by the door because, A, I want to impress my boss. B, I have to serve them. Um, but I didn't understand why everybody ran away. <laughs> <laughs> and so as they were walking towards the door, I had a, a kind of a, I don't want to say vision, but I had kind of a, something that I was reminded of when I was young, growing up in Zimbabwe. I remember seeing people dressed like that. Um, and that was brought to my memory when I was standing mm. at the door. So they kind of looked familiar yeah. as they were walking towards me. And they greeted me and I sat them down. Um, and I went to grab their menus and I was coming back from the menu station to give them the menus, that feeling came again, ask them what they do. And I thought, That's, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna give them their menu and you know, impress them or whatever. And that feeling was really strong to the point where I couldn't say anything apart from ask them what they do. And so I got to the table feeling a little bit overwhelmed and I said, okay guys, here are your menus, but what do you guys do for a living? Because you're all kind of dressed the same. And then one of the ladies was there and they were kind of older, an older couple. Um, I was like, oh, we're missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, we're just coming here for a bite to eat. Um, do you want to know what we do? I'm like, no, I just wanted to know like, what your deal is, and then I went kind of scurried away. Um, but then they decided that whole evening they'll tell me everything about what they do. So they left no stone unturned. They told me everything. 
Um, and I was listening and smiling because I'm being watched by my boss, so I wanted to impress. So I literally gave them my undivided attention. I listened, I would bring glasses of water or something, and I'll just listen for a few minutes, whatever they had to share. Um, but every time they kept telling me what they were telling me, it didn't, like, it seemed too good to be true. I was like, mm. this, this doesn't happen. It's not normal for a 14-year-old boy to just go pray and then stuff happens. Um, so I was like, oh, it's a good story, but I don't believe it. Um, and at that time in my life, because of my mom's death, I had a lot of questions for God. Right. Um, I was asking him, you know, why did she have to die? Um, why do I have to raise myself, pretty much? Um, she was a good person. She didn't deserve that. So I had all these kind of questions. And will I ever see her again? And so these missionaries were not addressing any of that. So I was thinking, well, if they're from a church, they should, you know, know the answers to these things. But I'm not going to ask them. I'm just, you know, going to serve them, and then they can go on their way. So before they left that evening, um, the, one of the elders who ended up um, teaching me, um, he bore his testimony on the plan of salvation. And it had nothing to do with what we were talking about because they had just talked to me about the restoration, right. kind of the Bible and that history. Um, but he just felt you know, inclined to share that, his testimony about that. And after he left, I was like, Okay, I like what he said. Um, I want to know more about that. And so I called them after my shift. It was like 12 midnight. I didn't know you couldn't call them at that time. <laughs> so I, I remember going home and calling, and I was like, I want to know more about what you said. Not everything else you were talking about, yeah. but about that. I'm sure they didn't <laughs> mind that it was no, late. <laughs> no, no, sleepy voices, but they were very, you could tell they were happy that oh, they yeah. received received the call but after that I did get the job and yeah you got the job <laughs> yes and the missionaries yes they got started to teach teaching you mm -hmm. what would you say after they were teaching you um what would you say was the biggest thing that helped you know you should be baptized what what helped you make that decision um I think two things because I I kind of always wanted to be immersed in religion. Like when I would go with my grandmother, I, I liked everything they taught, but I didn't like, because they grew up, everyone in my family grew up Methodist except for us. Um, they would always teach, you know, wonderful doctrine, um, but I always felt like God was some untouchable being, you know, I couldn't yeah. talk to him. I couldn't, you know, just discuss how I'm feeling. So there was that distance. And so I wanted, if anything, to have a personal relationship um, with that being, you know, that I didn't know yet. And secondly, because before my mom died, she kind of sat me down and, you know, I don't know if she knew she was going to pass. I don't know. But she kind of talked to me about just life. You know, I want you to get an education. I want you to be a good person. Um, so I think I thought religion would help me kind of, I was a good kid, but I thought that that would kind of help me be more consistent um, with those values. So when the missionaries were talking to me about um, 
a 14-year-old boy being committed to something like this, I thought, I'm older than Joseph Smith. I, mm. I can do it. Um, and so from praying, beginning to pray, learning how to pray, learning how to communicate with God, that helped me kind of believe it. And also the plan of salvation, I think that's what really solidified everything. Because when the missionaries taught me, my first lesson was not the restoration. Um, they had no idea. I didn't tell them anything. Um, only after I was baptized, they knew that, obviously. Wow. But uh, they had no idea, but they just felt like we need to teach her the plan of salvation. Yeah. So they came with that. And so that was like what really drew me because it made sense that, yeah, people die, but we can still see them again. It's like not the end. And I like that um, principle that our lives here are not just a waste. We can still be reunited. And so that was the cherry on top for me. Right. And I think it's interesting that you felt like you wanted to have that infinite, eternal mm -hmm. commitment to God mm -hmm. in the same way that you perceived Joseph Smith having it mm -hmm. so that you could be eternally connected to yes. your mother, which is a, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful sort of circle. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that that idea of commitment and being immersed in religion and a mm -hmm. relationship with God led you to go on your own mission. Yes, yes. So describe how you decided to go on a mission, mm -hmm. and then where you went on your mission? Um, I think after I got baptized, because I was baptized really quickly, two weeks after they met me, it I was got two baptized. Weeks. Yes, didn't take long. Um, I knew it was true. I knew it. I, I, I knew it. Um, but they were like, okay, we have to teach you some things, so slow down. <laughs> and so... While they were teaching me, I'd ask them, I'm like, does everybody know about this? Because I didn't know about this. And then they're like, well, we have missionaries all over the world teaching the same things. But then I'm like, but it's not common knowledge still, because I didn't know it. It's not like as common as getting a newspaper. Like, why is this not being broadcast <laughs> everywhere? Um, I, want to, I want to help you share it with everybody. And they're like okay. And I'm like, well, is there a program where I can also do this? Is it just guys who do it? Can I do it? And they're like, yes, yes, you can. But we have to teach you, you know, so I, I was You need just, to be baptized yes, first. <laughs> I needed, I needed right. to just get the ball rolling. Um, so I started learning about missionary work. I would go out teaching with them and just understand how to help people. And I kind of was drawn to the concept of meeting someone, um, no idea, or has an idea, but doesn't really have the big picture, and seeing that change, that fascinated me. I saw it in myself, and I saw it in the people I went to teach with them. And I was like, I want to do this. I like how this feels. And so I decided to serve a mission. Um, my entire family was surprised, shocked. What are you doing? because it, I've never really committed to anything. And after my mom's death, I kind of didn't care anymore about much. So the fact that I was caring about something yeah. scared them. They're like, maybe you're being irrational. You're just grieving. It's your grieving process. You don't need to decide to do anything. But I told them, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to do it with or without your help. And they were like, well, you know, you're not listening to us. Your mother's not here, so you think you can just decide to do what you want. We're going to step back. 
Um, we won't assist you with anything you might need. And I was like, okay, fine. Wow. And so I just started saving. I worked, uh, still working at the waitress job. I found another job close by in a hotel. Um, and that helped. My ward was great. Um, and then I went on my mission just, I think, two years after I had joined the church. Uh, I served in England in the Leeds mission. And I just wanted everybody to know what I knew. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And, and like most beautiful stories, they're, you, you want the hero to have sort of an easy way and have <laughs> things come easily. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's interesting. You, you had these conflicts, but you, you pushed through them because you were so certain that it was true. On your mission, was there a time when you weren't as certain? Yes, um, because I, I felt like I left on such a whim, <laughs> like I was literally on a magic carpet. Um, Which I think sometimes the spirit can help us do that, and it's mm -hmm. wonderful, but it can't last, and it probably shouldn't last. Yes, definitely. And I remember when I was being taught by the elders, I was kind of interested in church history, but there was just so much to study that I didn't get to study everything. And so I remember walking with my, um, and this was right at the beginning of my mission, I was walking with my trainer and we were just talking to people on the street. And there was this guy who came and he talked to us and we sat with him for like a while. And he was like, I have a question for you sisters. And I was like, what? And then he said, and he looked at me, he's like, I have a question for you, Sister Kamira. And I was like, okay. And then he said, how can you be so convinced and so convicted with everything you're sharing with me and everything you're saying, but you know that this church doesn't like people who look like us. And I was like, what does he mean? And it's like, um, he started telling me about um, the priesthood uh, not, you know, being um, given to people of color. And I didn't know that then. Um, so I kind of listened to what he was saying, but I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Right. <laughs> I can't, I can't um, even imagine. Yeah, it, it didn't make sense. So I remember going home thinking, this is ridiculous, but it would not escape my mind. I kept thinking about it because... It, well, you'd, you'd have to. Yes. I was now starting to put two and two together, like, God loves me. So obviously everybody should have everything that he right. wants to provide us. Right. So I called my mission president uh, the next day and I told him, this is what I was faced with. I don't know how to deal with it, um, but I need answers. Let me ask you a question. Did you feel, I mean, that's a bombshell mm -hmm. to find out, something like that. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Did you feel that anyone had deliberately tried to hide that information from you? At first I did, because I was thinking, the elders didn't teach me everything. Right. Because I wanted to be taught everything. So I felt like the elders didn't disclose everything to me. But at the same time, I was like, because I was kind of studying church history already, I was thinking, did I miss something yeah. in my study? Or have I not gotten to it yet? So I was just thinking, this is just a lot, and I want to know how to unpack it. Um, and I think that's why I called my mission president. Right, because and I that's an interesting to approach mm -hmm. to try and at least give 
the benefit of the doubt to the information. Mm -hmm. So what did your mission president say? Um, he said, well, if you want, you can research. He told me to go on LDS.org. If I want on my P-Day, I can do that. Or I can deal with it when I get home. Because so it's he, going to so be he a gave lot. you the option. Yes. How did he make it clear to you that the information was available? I think that's interesting that he told you to research it. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, well, nothing is hidden. Because I told him, I don't understand why I didn't know this. And yeah. someone from yeah. the street <laughs> knows it. And he told me, well, we have a lot of church history that is compiled by the leaders of the church that you can find online. And this is where it is. Uh, you might have not come across it, but it is there. And you are more than welcome to study it and kind of help, have that help you learn how to assist other people that you might meet during your mission. So I decided to pray about it after that because I have, I personally have a pattern on how to deal with things. Right. I first go to the leaders, whoever leader, bishop, that then it was my mission president. And after that, I, I pray about it and decide. And so when I prayed about it, the answer was, you don't have to deal with it right now. You can deal with it when you're home. It won't be a problem anymore. How did you get that answer when you were so confused? I think sometimes confusion mm -hmm. or a misunderstanding or any negative feelings might stop someone from communicating with God. And I think mm -hmm. your pattern is interesting because you see it all throughout your conversion story, mm -hmm. that connection with God. How, how did you have an open connection with God so that you could ask him and still get an answer, even though maybe you had some negative feelings, mm -hmm. which, which were justified in the circumstance, but how, mm -hmm. how did you get that answer from him? Um, so with me, after becoming a member of the church, I was obsessed with general conference. Um, I started studying all the conference talks before I became a member. So I was baptized 2010. So I started from like the 70s when they started. I would study every general conference session. So you were immersing yourself mm -hmm. in the information. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And because I was obsessed with general conference, I had lots of talks to draw from to deal with this. Um, and I remember there was one talk by, I think it was President Packer, Boyd K. Packer. And I had this, you know, prompting to read that talk. And in that talk, there was a scripture he cited, uh, which was First Nephi. In First Nephi, and it, and it was Nephi talking, or being questioned by the angel. Yes. And, um, and he's asked, you know, know thou the condescension of God? And he says, you know, I don't know the meaning of all things, but I know God loves his children. And I was at a point where I didn't know the meaning of all things. Um, but does that mean God doesn't love me? No, he does love me. And so that scripture was kind of what I needed at that point. And that was my answer that right. I'm not going to have answers for all the people who I meet during this mission. The questions they're going to throw at me. I might have answers, I might not, but what they need to know is that God loves them irregardless um, of whatever questions they might have, and that's what I went with. So you had read, you read that talk on your mission. Mm -hmm. 
after you read the talk and you felt like God's love is probably the most important thing, and I still feel that, mm-hmm. how did you proceed on the rest with the rest of your mission? Did were there other obstacles like that, or did that help you get through the rest of your mission? It did help because during my mission and. I, first, I didn't understand why <laughs> I was sent to England because it didn't make sense to me. I wanted to serve in Africa. But for some reason, while I was in England, every person of color was drawn to me. Um, I didn't have to actively seek people. They'll just see me walking down the street with a badge and be like, oh, I need to talk to her. Wow. And they would always ask me, you know, we didn't know people of color were in this church. Like, where, where are you from? Who are you? Like, where did you come from? And I'll tell them there's plenty where I came from, um, where so many. And I remember this guy in this ward, um, he was from, I think, the Congo, and they were less active. Um, and then there was another family as well. They were not even members. We just knocked on their door. So all these people would ask, would be surprised, first of all, because they knew about this church, but they just did, didn't know they, they had a place in it. And I was kind of their, like, one um, evidence that there is a place for us because she cannot be here doing this for 18 months for no reason. Um, So there were many people that I was just drawn to or they were drawn to me. And I would always bear testimony that you may encounter things you will not understand. You may have to really understand why you're doing this but at the end of the day god is the one that loves you he's the one that is architect of everything that is around us so if anything that's what should help you stay did you have any of these people ask you specifically about the priesthood i had one um one person asked me and they were asking me because they didn't understand why i I'm staying. Right. Yeah. Um, they were less active and they, they were wondering, why are you still a part of this when you know this targets kind of your, you know, your people? And I was like, well, I feel like um, people are not perfect. God is working with imperfect people. And because he's working with imperfect people, experiences that these people are having are either what makes them or break them breaks them and their choices are not god's choices we can only yield to god's will not our will and you know for whatever reason that was passed then it's not a problem right now because they made their choices then that they needed to at that time but i'm choosing to make this choice right now and um that should help so you took control mm-hmm. over your choices mm-hmm. and let your relationship with God be your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Once you got home from your mission, and how long have you been home now? Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I came home 2014, September. So yeah. it's been like four so, or five years yeah, now. Yeah, almost five years. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that your relationship with God basically dictated all your decisions. I mean, even mm-hmm. before you knew that that's what it was pushing you, mm-hmm. it, it was God's love for you and your love for him. Since you've been home and when you've had difficulties, how have you 
turn to this and, and how would you recommend that other people do the same? I think sometimes it's hard mm -hmm. when we have expectation failure or when we mm -hmm. have conflicts both in and outside of the church. Mm -hmm. How have you made sure that the love of God is what motivates you mm -hmm. and pushes you forward? And how would you suggest other people do the same? Um, for me personally, I think the problems um, or the doubts or the questions usually come when a new experience presents itself yeah. and into one's life, either a trial or a change of environment. Something always shifts gears. And for me, uh, when I left to go on my mission, I was going and knowing that I'm coming back. Uh, I, had, I had that at the back of my mind that no matter what happens here, I'm going to be home. It's fine. And so when I came to America, um, I was like, I don't know when I'm going to come home. Like, it's not, I don't know anything right now. I'm kind of a fish out of water. Yeah. And so I struggled a lot spiritually um, when I came here because things are so different to what I'm used to. Yeah. And I had experiences where my like identity was challenged, like who I am, where I'm from, things like that. And so what I remember talking to my stake president back home, who I talked to all the time, he was like, well, when you went on your mission, you were going for one purpose, to preach the gospel and go home. Uh, you're here for school. That's different. It's not technically a mission, but it is a mission because you are here to educate yourself, but you're also here to help others. So why don't you take that same energy and those same reasons that mm -hmm. took you on mission and apply those here? Uh, it's not easy because you know you're not a missionary, but you have to start thinking like one. The first being you have to love the people you're serving. Mm -hmm. um, you can't compare. You know, back home we used, you know, rands. Here we're using pounds. What is this? You can't compare <laughs> things like that. Like, why am I using the American dollar? Um, you're here now. This is home. Um, so you, you have to learn again to love uh, the people you're surrounded by. I was like, okay, I can do that. That's, that's not a problem. And so I started doing that. And I decided to work in the temple because um, I thought that would be one of the ways I can serve a lot of people without, you know, proselyting or anything. And so I started doing that. And when I was in the temple as, a, as an ordinance worker, um, I understood, like I was taught a lot of lessons. Um, and I realized that sometimes when people are struggling, they don't want to face the music. Um, mm -hmm. They don't want to face the challenge that they're struggling with. I'm not afraid of trials. I don't like them but I'm not afraid um, because I feel like I've already been beaten down with a lot of things. So anything that's coming, you know, bring it on. I don't care. So I'm not afraid. And Satan knows Loretta is not afraid. And so he will try and find simple things, you know, to detach us. And for me, it was kind of the concept of going through the motions. Um, I would go to church, I'll do everything I'm doing, but I'm not invested. Um, I'm just a body sitting in sacrament meeting, <laughs> but nothing's in there. No, nothing is being taken in or nothing is coming out. 
And so that was my, my trial. I was just complacent. Um, when I'd go to the temple, I'd be gung-ho for that. But everything else, I was like, nah, I don't care, really. You know, I'm in a bad space, so whatever. So I think that's, that's kind of the thing that happens with people. We become complacent. We take things as rote. We're not fully immersed. And you don't have to be less active. Stop going to church to be someone who's struggling. We could yeah. all be sitting together in church and we're all there, but we're not there. Um, so we're inactive in the daily things that we're supposed to be doing. And so I didn't like that feeling. I was like, I don't like this. It's not bringing me joy and it's not who I am. And so I decided to sit down with my bishop and I told him, I haven't been reading my scriptures. I've been praying. What do we do? And he's like, what? It doesn't look like that when you come to church. I'm like, well, that's the problem, Bishop. You don't see it. You know, everyone could be sitting struggling, but you can't see it. Um, we're doing what we're supposed to. I'm showing up for church, but I'm not there, if it makes sense. And so I'm the only one with enough guts to come and tell you this is what I'm going <laughs> with. There's probably millions in this ward that are going through the same thing. And I feel like... You need to, I don't know, find ways we can help us. Um, doesn't have to be someone international. Anybody needs that same, you know, guidance. Because I've always found strength in the leaders of the church. Um, I feel like, if anything, they can be my goalposts on the road to, to meeting my Father in Heaven again. So I did that. And when I started applying those principles, deciding to be the one to choose to go to church, not because I'm going because I want to be seen that I'm sitting there, but because I love Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father more than anything, and with that I will go to church. And it just started off like that. I think it's interesting that you were drawn to the church because you said you wanted to be fully committed. Mm -hmm. And that commitment essentially is what helped you stay when you were going through struggles mm -hmm. and and that you you noticed in or in order to be fully committed i need to be doing internal things not mm -hmm. just the external things mm -hmm. i think sometimes we feel like the love of god is just something that we can feel no matter what we're doing but yes. the the connection you're making is interesting between the commitment and the work Mm -hmm. and being able to feel the love. The love is always there. Mm -hmm. But in order to feel it, you have to have that commitment yes. and that work, sometimes mm -hmm. giving God the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. during a struggle. Mm -hmm. If I can just ask you to describe one last thing. Mm -hmm. When you feel the love of God, which sounds like that, that is what keeps you going, what, what does it feel like? How would you describe that? Um... With me, I think it shows, because I'm naturally a happy person. Um, I'm really upset with anything or anyone. I'm naturally happy, and when I'm not happy, it shows. Like I cannot even hide it, <laughs> because my nature is happiness, so when I'm not, people can tell. I don't have to say anything. They can just tell. Even when I'm trying to hide it, people somehow, they know <laughs> something's up with Loretta. Um, 
And so because of that, I feel like my, the love I receive from Heavenly Father comes out in how I treat people, mm. like how I serve others, um, how I take care of my friends or family. Because um, I, I, I always pray ever since um, joining the church, I've always prayed said in my prayers that I want the love, the love that Heavenly Father has for me to show in how I help yeah. others. Yeah. When I help someone, I want them to feel Heavenly Father, not me. Um, and so that's when I know I can feel Heavenly Father's love, when I am eager to assist people, when I'm eager to just show love in many different forms. Um, and when I go to the temple, um, I've I love going to the temple. I feel it. That's the one place where when I go, nothing else matters. Right. I don't even care what's happening. I'm happy. I feel loved. I'm reminded every time I go, the Heavenly Father makes it a point to tell me that I love you and you're important every time I go. So that's why I never leave the temple. Well, and that's, that's the importance of your staying committed is that you can be in places where you can feel the love. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing your story. It's, sure. it's an extraordinary story, and you're Thank an extraordinary you. person. And I'm grateful that you share your example and share God's love with other people. Thank you so much. Thank you.